Howdy, friends. You're listening to teaching from our college ministry here at FBC Bryan. We hope you enjoy this message from our college pastor, John Davison, as we journey through the book of 2 Timothy. If you have any questions, please reach out through social media, or you can visit our website at fbcbryan.org slash college. We hope you enjoy. Amen. Amen. Boom. Grab a seat. Grab a Bible. Luke's working on this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. Before I get in there as he's adjusting this mic, let me remind you of a couple things. Uh, over the next couple weeks, well, well, this weekend, actually, I'm just going to, I'm going to find my way through it, Luke, don't worry. This weekend is our leadership retreat for 23 and 24, uh, so for next year. Um, one of the things that's going to come out of that is specific leadership over unique areas, and then we are going to begin to ask you, if you just pull down the overall gain, I think you'll be okay on that channel. Um, we're going to begin to ask you to, to sign your letter of intent into a space to serve, okay? So if, if First Brian and 127 is going to be your home next year, we don't assume that, but we would love for that to happen. Uh, we want you to be serving in this space. We want this to be a church that you love, a church that you're growing in, um, but really, and, and we'll look at this a little bit tonight, one of the big reasons that God allows you to corporately gather together is to encourage you in your walk, to continue to spur you on, but also to give you a place that you can serve, that you love. And so we're going to put children's on the table and youth ministry on the table and greeting and ushering and worship and, and all of those spaces and more within our ministry. And so just be thinking and praying about what does this look like for you next year? What's, what's the space that you want to be involved in? What are, what are the gifts that the Lord has given you and how can you just grow in them, okay? Because you're going to hear about that in the following weeks, like, hey, so-and-so is leading this team and they would love to have you to be a part of that team and so get, get plugged in. Okay, cool. That's my, that's my commercial for what's happening. You can be praying for us uh, Friday and Saturday as we're out at Carolina Creek, which is where fall retreat will be again next year. Same weekend, so just be ready for that. It's the, the weekend of the Tennessee game. This is, we're thinking really, really far ahead, but it's out of town. We'll be watching the game out there. This time it's not an off week. Uh, but we'll be out there hanging out, but we'll be at Carolina Creek getting ready for next year. So pray for us. All right, so here we are, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, what has happened up to this point, as you know, is he's, just, he's making this charge to Timothy about how he is to lead. And one of the things that we know about college students and how we do ministry is that you have a space of leadership. You, you are going to lead in some way, shape, or form. It, somebody's going to look to you as a leader, whether it's you know, your job, whether you become a parent one day, um, as you volunteer or serve in church, or God calls you to vocational ministry, things like that. You are called to lead as a Christian, and in doing so, to push people uh, to be more and more like Christ. And so as he's walking through this, he begins this, this conversation or, or stirring his affection to be like, what are the, what's the voices? What's the noise that you're paying attention to? There's, there's faithful teachers you need to follow. There's unfaithful people that you need to follow. But here's this foundation as he's walking through chapter 3, verse 10. But you have followed my teaching. And then he goes through and encourages him. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's like, this is what you followed. And then we pick it up in verse 14 where we stopped because it connects really well to what happens in chapter 4. He says this, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. He's going back and reminding him of his the faithful, the lowest, and the grandmother, and even Paul, who, is, who has spoken to him and encouraged him. Verse 15, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Such an important verse. 
And then verse 16, a verse that a lot of us know who've grown up in church, all scripture is God-breathed. Their mind says, is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. He's setting up the importance of God's word. I read this story the other day. Dr. William Evans pastored college church from 1906 to 1909. Um, was just like an, an unbelievably accomplished human being. Uh, it, w- it was said that he had memorized the entire version in the King, the entire Bible in the King James Version, all of it. And then he got bored and he memorized the entire New Testament in the New American Standard Version. Just a brilliant human being. He, he wrote over 50 books. His son Lois became uh, a pastor, one of the best known preachers of his day in America. He pastored uh, First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood. And his dad, when he retired, he moved to Hollywood to be close to his son. And he would fill in, of course, for his son when his son was away. And one Sunday, uh, Dr. William is what they called him, Dr. Evans, but they, the, past, the church called him Dr. William. He was, he was speaking about the virgin birth to the church. And everyone was amazed. He raised up his Bible and he tore out the pages of his Bible that narrate the birth of Jesus. And he threw those onto the ground. And toward the congregation, he shouted, if we can't believe in the virgin birth, let's tear it out of the Bible. And then as he drove home his, poor, his point, he tore out the resurrection chapters and then the miracle narratives all throughout the Gospels. Um, and then anything that conveyed the supernatural. And so all in front of him was just like Bible pages all over the place. And then in a dramatic fashion towards the end of it, he said, and this is all that we have left holding this section of the New Testament in his Bible. And it was just the Sermon on the Mount was all he had left. And he said, and, and this has no authority for me if the divine Christ didn't preach it. Because if, if we don't believe this and we don't believe this, then this section is kind of pointless. And so after a few more words to his listeners, he bowed his head to pray. But before he could start praying, a man in that congregation stood up and he said, no. We need more of this. Go on. We, we want more. And then several other people joined in. And so Dr. Evans at that point preached for another hour and 50 minutes. 45 minutes in, they said, no, you got to keep going. So he goes on for almost two more hours of that. And this story illustrates what Paul is challenging Timothy to do here. Because with all of the noise that's in Timothy's world and all the noise that's in our world, he's going, this is what you must do. Because a lot of people don't really believe in the inspiration of Scripture. A lot of people discount the miracles of Scripture. False teachers are going to talk about whether or not Jesus was, was born of a virgin, whether or not the resurrection really happened. They're going to they're gonna contend against all of these things. And in, in the midst of that, Timothy, you must know that your faithful commitment to God's word is going to lead to people to scream like that guy did in church. Hey, you can't stop. Like we need more of this. This is Nehemiah chapter eight. What I need you to do as we begin to rebuild is just to bring the book. And so if you know the story of Nehemiah, they're rebuilding the walls. What were they doing? They're proclaiming God's word over the rebuilding of everything. It was the authority that they were sitting under. And this is so unbelievably important. Now, I know this. Timothy is a pastor. Okay. And I I think I know almost all of you in this room that are called to be pastors. And if I haven't had a conversation with you, let's have a a talk about that. 
And a lot of times when we think about Timothy's pastoral role, we separate that into like, that's for them and this is for me. They are called to like, to be up in front of people and to faithfully preach or faithfully teach God's word. And I'm called to sit in the pew and hear it and to observe it, to absorb it and to observe it um, so that I can just be a sponge and they're just pouring that out. This is not what he's directing him at. He is called to be an example. There's a reason, here's the simple logic. There's a reason this is in the Bible. And it wasn't just some private thing that Paul said to Timothy. Hey, you're going to be a pastor. Uh, Do this. And uh, put that in a book just for pastors. Now, what Scripture does this is call all of us to this standard. And so we've said it multiple times. This is the standard that you're called to, to hold God's word in such authority. But as for you, continue what you've learned, what you firmly believe, what people that you know have taught you, that they've been faithful, even from when you were a baby, you were taught the sacred Scriptures. What was he taught? He was taught the... Old Testament, this is important for us to understand. It wasn't just like, hey, let me read the book of Matthew to you. He didn't have that yet. So he's being taught the, uh, the Old Testament, and he's going, hey, other people are going to push against this, but you got to be faithful to this. Now, how can you be faithful? How can college students be faithful? How can I be faithful to continue to walk in God's word? Because, because this, this passage is, is wildly important to the church. This is treasured, especially verse 16. We just love to hold this thing in like high authority. But we have to know this, that the familiarity of this little chunk of scripture a lot of times pushes us into a lazy space. And so when you hear all scripture is God-breathed, you just be like, hurrah. But you don't treat it like it's God-breathed. You, you hear it and then you just go, eh, okay, okay, cool, I can believe it. If you really believed it, then you would dive deeply into it and you would do what it tells you to. It's just the truth. And so this is the charge today is are we stepping up into this space? And then the encouragement, Paul does this. He encourages us on how this can happen. And so starting right off in the beginning, but as for you, continue. What what should you do? Just just continue in God's word. Paul's life is about to end here. He knew Timothy must continue to run this race. He tells his spiritual son, continue in what you've learned, continue in what you've believed, model what has been modeled before you. And so that's the question. Like, are you continually learning the Bible? Is it just a Sunday thing for you? And you come and you hear it and you get pretty encouraged and like, man, I can't wait till next Sunday. It's gonna be good. I get to jump back into the Bible again. Or is this something that you're continually engaging with? Continue in what you've heard, continue in what you've firmly believed. Um, I mean, that, that firmly belief thing is just this idea that, that he has been convinced that what he has read and what he has studied and what has been spoken over him is true. And so in that, Paul assumes that once you've been convinced of that, once you firmly believe that, then your continual response and return to God's word is just inevitable. You're just going to do that. And he's encouraging him just to continue to do that. The next one, continue in what is Christ-centered. I would say continue in the Christ-centered scriptures. This is verse, four, verse 15. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And why is this so incredible? Because since he was a baby, he had the scriptures spoken over him, and those scriptures had the ability to bring about salvation in Jesus Christ. But those scriptures were all the Old Testament. And a lot of times we, we think about salvation in Jesus as being just a New Testament thing. 
Now, that's true. Like th- this chunk of the Bible here, which I'll find Matthew chapter 1, this chunk of the Bible here is about Jesus coming and fulfilling everything that was spoken about in here. And so this part is important. It brings clarity. Like now we know the end. Now we can walk in confidence. We have joy. There's a unique hope that, that comes from this. But all of this is the power to bring about salvation in Jesus Christ. That, that, that should kind of push you into a space of wonder because a lot of times we don't connect those two. We don't think of the Old Testament as the thing that brings about the salvation in Jesus. We're like, hey, that's just a New Testament idea. But Paul consistently, all throughout his teaching, uses the Old Testament to preach and teach the gospel. It's the only thing he had. And so he's, he's teaching the gospel and leading people to Christ by explaining that. I mean, we have examples of that when it's like, hey, there's that, that Ethiopian who's like, hey, can you explain Isaiah to me? And he's like, okay, well, I'll just explain all of it to you. And he came to faith. Or Jesus like, let me explain to you all that the prophets had spoken about me that leads to salvation. And so he's using the Old Testament here. The gospel that Timothy heard from the beginning was a gospel that was spoken from the prophets and from the early apostles' word of mouth. And it was authentic and it was just worth his very life. I love that, that these Christ-centered scriptures are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This book, as you study it, that is its goal. It leads you to salvation through faith in Christ. And and I love that. Like, I love this thought. The apostles weren't running around with a bunch of tracks like the four spiritual laws or like the Romans road. Like, they were literally on the Romans road. Okay, they were sharing the Old Testament on the Romans road. And, and that's how they had the opportunity to be like, hey, you know this Jesus who was here? You remember the Jews, like they killed him? All of our Old Testament was about this guy. Repent and believe. And so just the understanding, the, the, the more that you can understand even the Old Testament, the more clearly that you can see Jesus and the more that it, it brings to life what's actually happening in the New Testament. He, he kind of highlights that in the beginning of chapter four. Just the Bible, it narrates this, this ongoing flow of redemptive history that started in Genesis. We kind of did this this morning. Started in Genesis and goes all the way to Revelation. And it's, it's 100% unashamedly Christian. And I, and I say that because our Jewish friends will want to go back and grab the Old Testament and just claim that it's a Jewish book. But the whole thing is Christian. It's pointing towards Jesus. A famous pastor wrote this book called Preaching Christ. Um, and in it, he, he kind of highlights the redemptive nature of the Bible, and he does it in six steps. He says this, the Old Testament is part of the Christian canon. It shows the history of redemption leading to Christ. It proclaims truths not found in the New Testament. It helps us understand the New Testament. It prevents misunderstanding of the New Testament, and it provides a fuller understanding of Christ. That's all that the Old Testament does. The, the Bible's not like some book of fables that teach us really cool moral lessons um, that help us to live like a better life. The, the Bible, in its purpose and in its context, is to, to remind us and point us towards Jesus. Because if, if it's not that, then you can read the story of Noah in the Old Testament and, and you, can, you can go, hey, you heard the story, this is what I need you to do, go love animals. Gather some animals, care for them, make sure that they're protected. That's what I need you to do is, is love on the... In fact, this, this is what God did. God allowed for a boat 
to be built before the flood so that he could save all the animals. PETA. That, that's what you could do with it if it was just like some cool moral principle. Instead, when you begin to dig on it, you go, hey, this story is about God's judgment and God's redemptive purposes in salvation and how he takes sin seriously and how he takes his glory seriously. And you can begin to push him into all of those spaces. But a lot of times we like to make the Old Testament like a, like a superhero kind of thing where we put these people like Samson and David and Gideon on our like superhero um, wallpaper and we want to like worship them and we want to model like what their life was like and instead like all of it is doing is just pointing us to the person of Christ. I, I heard it this way and I really love this. The Bible is a hymn book, not H-Y, H-I-M. It's a hymn book. It is all about him. The Old Testament anticipates Christ. The New Testament explains Christ. He's promised in the beginning He's there in the middle. He's held up at the end as our object of worship for eternity. And so creation and fall and redemption, all of those unfold in a way that just brings God glory. But sadly, a lot of Christians, we read the stories of the Bible and, and we know that they're really, really cool stories, but we miss Jesus and all of the really, really cool stories. And so I'm, I'm not saying that we ignore the historical setting of the Old Testament. I'm not saying that we throw all, all of those things away, but you need to begin to read the Bible as Christians, not read the Bible as like rabbis, as Jewish rabbis. And so we can honor the historical context of the Old Testament while still going that all of this scripture, it gives us wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the verse that you can use. I don't think that you run across this very often, but you are like, well... Eh, Jewish, Old Testament better than New Testament. This Jesus wasn't even really that. When, when you can claim this verse and explain this verse, it brings a new authority to that. So we see him going, hey, continue in the word. Continue and make sure that the words that you're, you're studying and understanding in Scripture, be reminded that they are Christ-centered. And then verse 16, he says this, all Scripture is inspired by God. Okay, this is really important. All Scripture is God-breathed. Holding on to that is essential. He's going, hey, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. And then this brings about this theological idea of like, how did that even happen? Like, did the Holy Spirit just take control of the guy's hand and he just wrote it? Did he give them thoughts that he wrote? What is all that? If you're real concerned about that, let's have a conversation. But you just have to kind of set on the fact that it was theopneustos. It was breathed out by God. It connects us to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You love the Lord your God with all. And then when he talks about that first part of that, it is his throat. And when he talks about his throat, that's this same kind of connection that, that is your words should be breathed out from the depths of something that is, is really, really inspired by God. That is what this is. And so the spirit worked through the biblical writers to pin God's word in its entirety and exactly, we believe, as God intended for it. Just as God spoke the universe into existence, he spoke the word into existence. And, it, and in fact, like the better word here than inspired, all scripture is inspired by God. I think the better word for that is expiration. And not that it expired, but that he breathed out expersed his word. He breathed out his holy word. This is the gift that we have in the Bible. It's just been breathed out by him. 
And, and there's a little part that we need to hold on to with that. I, I think as Christians, you're okay with like the Bible being inspired by God. But make sure you hold on to the first two words. All Scripture. All of it. It's not a pick and choose book. It's not the one where we're like, hey, I really love this part. Don't really like this part. All of it has been inspired by God. And so we have to hold on to that. Peter described how God revealed this to all men in 2 Peter 1.20. He said, first of all, you should know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He said all Scripture is breathed out. He affirmed the um, inspiration of Scripture from God when they were selecting the disciple who was going to take Judas's place. In Acts 1.16, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David spoke in advance to Judas. It's going, hey, the scripture had to be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit spoke through David. And so now we know like he's, he's validating the inspiration of scripture, that it was all breathed out by God. All of scripture. So we, we remember that. And then the second half of this verse, it's pretty important. All scripture is God breathed inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete or completely equipped for every good work. We have, we have a lot of people today who believe in the inspiration of Scripture, but they deny their belief by their practice. Let me say that again. They believe that Scripture is inspired by God, but they deny it by how they live their lives. It's not just believe in Scripture. It is believe in Scripture and use it. If Christians believe that the Bible is God-inspired and that it is His Word completely, then we should naturally see it as what He describes it, as profitable. And it being profitable and it being worth it, then it makes us wise unto salvation, verse 15, and then it is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training. It's useful for all of those things so that we can be fully equipped. The Bible, basically, it, it shapes our beliefs, and in shaping our beliefs, that should shape your lifestyle. That's just what he's saying here. The Bible relates really well to our doctrine and to our conduct. It relates to what we believe about God, but then it shapes how we live our lives for God. This is what scripture does to us. And the more, hear me, the more that you hang out with this, the more that those things change in you. And so like I love young, passionate Christ followers. I have many of you in the room who just like are really, really hungry for this. And so you dive into it and, and you apply it to your life instantly and sometimes in ways that are like a toddler would um, apply it. And so if I handed a toddler a hammer and I was like, hey, go fix something, more than likely he's going to break something in the process of fixing something. But it's fun to watch, right? You're passionate about that hammer, bro, go. That's the cool part. This is kind of what he's saying. And the more that you hang out with this, the more that you understand scripture and you believe it, the more that you grow in, its, in your ability to present it in useful ways that are for the good of the body, to teach and to rebuke and to correct and to train in righteousness. And we're going to see why that's, that's, a, that's a process as we go through the beginning of chapter 4. He puts us in a pretty good space. So that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. It shapes our beliefs and our lifestyle. What's so incredible about Scripture is it has the power, the ability um, 
to, to do both of those things. It can correct, it can, can, it can train, it can redirect our lives. It just shapes how we think about God and in doing so, how we live out God. And then he, he, he talks about that as he transitions kind of in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, in verse 2. It, my version says preach. I like the word proclaim, but some of yours may say this. Proclaim the word. Be ready in season and out of season to do what? Rebuke, correct, encourage. Some of the things that he talked about up there. With great patience and teaching. It's like, hey, you have to learn to do this stuff, but make sure that patience is there, and we're going to see why here in a second. Because if God's word meets our deepest needs and it transforms us from the inside out, then we have to know that people need more than our observation, more than our practical suggestions about how to live life. Like there are moments when you should like suggest some things to people, but what people really need is the counsel of God rightly presented to them by faithful people who understand it. And, and here's the thing. This is why I want to charge you with this, and then we're going to turn the corner into, into chapter four. Um, I have in front of you guys about an hour a week. Most of the time, less than that if I'm not teaching on Sunday morning. Um, I believe and unapologetically believe that the Lord has given me this space to try to rightly explain to you God's word and to do so verse by verse and to walk through it so hopefully you understand chunks of it at a time. And so if you're, if you're with us in our ministry for four years, then you'll probably get four New Testament books and four Old Testament books during that time. So you get eight of those books. I think that's a pretty good start for your life. But more than that, you're kind of understanding scripture as we walk through that. But I just get an hour of that. And then if you're like, hey, I'm gonna bring my friend to church and you can explain this to him too. I get that same amount of time with your friend. It's not a ton. But you get to be around roommates and family and classmates and people that are in student orgs with you and all kinds of other spaces where if you had this and you could spend a lot of time with them and encouraging them in that and growing with them in that and growing with them you know, as they're figuring stuff out and you're figuring stuff out and you're bringing it to the table. Like I remember like that college time. I was, I was an intern and I, I lived in an intern house with nine other guys. All right, and one of the, we were stupid, all right, when you put nine guys in a house, it's just a big old bug old box of dumb. But also, like, we would sit down and just challenge each other with God's word. We could have theological conversations that we weren't having at church, that the pastor wasn't presenting to us. And we're like, hey, what do you actually think about the doctrine of transubstantiation? And you're like, what does that word even mean? It's like, I can't even pronounce it. And we could just dig through these things. This is what he's calling us to. Um, and you have that space. And so as you continue to learn and continue to trust and continue to believe the, the Christ-centered scriptures that are able to give you wisdom for salvation through Christ and then share those with your friends, it's gonna change the way that you live. And he says, this is what you're called to do. The quick reminder, you continue in the word. You continue, make sure that you're continuing in the Christ-centered word. And in the, being Christ-centered, then you, you recognize every day that these are breathed out by God, all of it. And you understand that it is totally sufficient. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. And so, so what does this look like? As you understand this, it's not just for your understanding, but then you, at that point, as he says in verse 1, I solemnly charge you, this chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, proclaim the word. Okay, this is an unbelievably like aggressive thing that he does. 
I, he doesn't say this anywhere else, I solemnly charge you before God and before Christ. If anybody approaches you with any of that, you should be like, oh dear, this is going to be intense. All right? Solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus. Who is going to judge? Man, he's going to judge the living and the dead. And because he appeared and because of his kingdom, when he comes back, proclaim the word. That's it. And so, so that's your charge after knowing these things, that this is what scripture is useful for all these things. It's been breathed out by God. We should understand that it's sufficient for all the stuff that we're going to walk through. It's the most powerful weapon that we have. And now we've been charged because of Christ Jesus, because of his appearing, because he's going to reappear, because of his kingdom. We need to preach the word. So he is calling us to speak this stuff out loud, to proclaim it out loud. Why? Why should we proclaim the word? What's the point? Doesn't it offend people? Yeah, it probably offended you at some point. What does it do to you now? It probably fills you with a great hope. It probably motivates you just in how you live. And, and here's why he does this. The, the proper motive, the reason that you should be faithful to God is not so that you can be famous. The reason that you should be faithful to God, like having a God-centered motive of living out God's word, is so that you make Christ Jesus famous. So that you prepare people for his reappearing, for his coming kingdom. And, and this, for some of you, may be an irritation. But, but let, me, let me say this to you. You will never go unnoticed. You will never be unnoticed. Okay, now, you'll probably be unnoticed by some people. Sure. You're probably going to be overlooked for some, for some roles. Some of you may want to be like the big like, preacher on the big giant stage with 60,000 college students surrounding you, like getting hype when you walk out there with your cool shoes. Like that, okay, that's a thing. You're probably going to be overlooked for that. But you are never overlooked in the eyes of God. You're just not overlooked by God. He, he cares deeply for you. I don't understand it, and it kind of irritates me theologically, but God so loved the world. And that language does include all of creation. All right, that's kind of important. The redemption included the earth. But it, it includes all of that. But his primary focus is that he gave within us his breath so that we could reflect the glory of God to everything else and give him glory back. And so the big part of him loving the world was loving us. I don't get it. I know me. I'm not lovable. I don't know why God in his perfection would love me, but he chose to. And in that love, he knows you. If he named all of the stars, but also knows the number of hairs on your head, I kind of assume that he also named your hairs. I just kind of like that thought. He's like, oh, lost Fred. <laughs> like, just a, just a, it's a weird thought that I have, but that's how much he knows you. You're not overlooked by God. And in that, not being unnoticed means that your faithful proclamation brings him the greatest joy. That's so important. Martin Luther, who I'm going to put up there as just one of the, one of the most faithful preachers, um, started a revolution. He said this concerning the Reformation. Like, we, we sit in this room because of the Reformation. This is what he did. He said, I simply taught. I preached, wrote God's word, 
Otherwise, I did nothing. I taught, I preached, I wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. I did nothing. The word did it all. I did nothing. I, I left it to the word, but it brings Satan distress when we only spread the word and then let it alone do the work. The guy who started the Reformation said, the only thing I did was preach God's word. Like I wrote God's word, I taught God's word, that's all I did, and then I sat back and I was like, hey, do your thing. That's what he did. And it made Satan mad. When, when we only speak God's word and then we sit back and let it work, like that's so powerful. This is this call. Preach the word faithfully and believe that it does all of the work. And so when you're like, well, how do I preach the word when I'm not a preacher? This word here is that we proclaim it. Be ready in season and out of season. And, and that is that point. We, we proclaim it consistently. What do I mean by that? The, some of your versions, when it says ready in and out of season, some of your versions says whether convenient or not, that we proclaim the word, whether it's convenient or not. It's basically saying that when you understand God's word, it's going to bring about an urgency um, when you understand the truth, that there are people that need this because what it deals with are matters of life and death and eternity. And the Christ follower should always be ready to speak words of life to people who need them in and out of season. And the only way that you can speak words of life is to know the words of life. Okay, we're real good at, as, as Christians to be like, hey, you're going through something, I'll pray for you. And then that's where it ends. Like we think that by saying I'll pray for you checks all of our Christian boxes and God just assumes in his great authority and power that when I say I pray for you, like that the prayer already happened that I don't actually have to pray anymore. But instead, like one of the most powerful things that you have, yes, pray for people, but also share God's word with people. If it is what we say that it is, that when, when we see the sacred scriptures that are able to give wisdom to salvation through Christ in, or through Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus, like if we really believe that, then we would be sharing this with everybody often. Well, one of the best things that I say when you get into a conversation with an unbeliever or an angry atheist or somebody who's just really doubting is that if you can get them to even like read a verse, you're winning. Because the Bible is the power that brings about salvation through wisdom and faith in Christ Jesus. And it's like, hey, I have this issue with the Bible. Man, I know where that verse is at. I'm going I'm to send it to you. Why don't you read it and then just give me your thoughts? You've just played a card on them that they don't even realize how powerful it is. And so proclaim it consistently. Just be ready to use it. Even if you don't fully understand it, be ready to use it. Because the Bible is stronger than your stupidity. It is. It's just stronger than your stupidity. That's not in my notes. I should add it. It's, I'm preaching to myself. So we proclaim the word consistently. These others are going to be fast. We, pro we proclaim the word pastorally. And like, well, what does that mean? I'm not a pastor. The role of a shepherd is that they care for sheep. You are surrounded by sheep. Every so often, those sheep are going to look to you because you're a Christian and go, hey, lead me somewhere. I'm dumb. You're kind of dumb too, but you're a little bit smarter than me. Let's go. And Paul gives three ways to do that. He says that you rebuke, you correct, and you encourage. You need to know where your friends are, out, friends are at and when they need to be rebuked, when they need to be corrected, and when they need to be encouraged. 
That's the role that you have as a shepherd, as a Christ follower, and I would say as a pastor without the vocational title to help your friends take those steps. Proclaim it pastorally. The Bible is big and it covers all kinds of topics. It addresses people in all kinds of ways. Rebuke, correct, and encourage is the thing that rises to the top and it, that fits into every situation. The next one, you proclaim the word patiently because as you, verse 2, are ready in and out of season in all circumstances to rebuke, correct, and encourage, you do so with great patience and teaching. I overlooked this for a long time. I love Paul's challenge here um, with great patience. This is so important, especially in a pastoral role, because this is what I want to know. This is what you need to know, what I know. Sanctification, which is uh, a Christian's growth to become more and more like Jesus, is a ridiculously slow process. College students try to fast forward it, and in doing so, it's like a, like a baby who's trying to walk and their head's too heavy for their body. And so you just start stumbling really fast until you either run into a wall or crash and burn. That, like, that's what happens for you a lot, and I love to see it take place. I like to encourage it sometimes. Like, hey, get up walk. It'll be fun to watch you fall. Sanctification is slow. Sanctification is difficult. Sanctification is messy. And a lot of you could say amen to that because you know as the Lord has sanctified your life in spaces, it was challenging and it was difficult. And the lessons learned were, challenged, were, were hard for you. And so we proclaim it consistently. We, we proclaim it with a pastoral heart and we proclaim it patiently, knowing that as we encourage our friends to make some of these changes, it's going to be slow. They're not going to get it right off the bat. They're going to have questions. They're going to have doubts. They're going to stumble through this. And our response as we, as we learn to look to Jesus more and we grow in this fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. And the, the only way that we grow in patience is that we understand how much we need God's patience in our life. And so we can push that into other people's lives as we lead them, as we're led by the Spirit, as we're communing with God, we can lead them in that. And that, this, that promise, the Lord is gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love, Psalm 145. And we can model that to people as we allow the gospel to work deeply into our hearts. We remember the patience that God has shown us and we reflect that to other people. And then lastly, this, one, this one's a big one, this one's a challenging one, we're not going to... I'm going to dive real deep into this, but what he says is that you proclaim the word theologically. Rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. For a time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, this is about the audience, hear this, they'll multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. It means the audience is kind of manipulating the teacher into saying what they want to hear instead of allowing them to faithfully teach the Bible. They will turn away from the hearing of the truth and will turn aside to myths. Um, when we think about how you proclaim the word theologically, there's two little things that come, up, come out a lot of times. We either we divide um, this into what we call preaching and what we call teaching. Um, and preaching is like the idea of evangelism and then teaching is kind of the discipleship, the discipleship of other people. Um, and so preaching is like, here's, here's the facts. The tomb is empty and the throne is occupied. They're preaching about Easter. And people can get all hurrah about that. And then the teaching follows that preaching idea and you're going, this is who Jesus is and this is why Jesus was crucified and why he was buried and 
what, what he did when he was buried, and then he rose again, and this is why he spent time with the disciples, and then this is why he ascended, and this is his place now, and because he has this place now, then we understand that his atonement, his, his paying for your sin was completely satisfied. He satisfied God's wrath for you, and so now he sits as a great high priest, and so when you pray, he tra- like you can start connecting all of these crazy dots, and people go cross-eyed. Preaching is declaring this news. Teaching is explaining the news. And so what he is saying here is he's not just talking about preaching and teaching. He's talking about both of these things wrapped up in sound doctrine because people a lot of times are going to just want to listen to what they want instead of allowing God's word to be faithfully communicated over them. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to these myths. And how do we get around that? This is a, this is a challenge for me because I don't really know how to control the audience. I, I don't know how I can control your response. And it took me a little while to get over that because the only thing that I can control is what I present to you. If I believe that as I prepare and as I'm hopefully spirit-led, that I faithfully present God's word to you, then the spirit will work in your response And I won't be trying to just tickle your ears and allow you to hear what you want to hear. And I'm not going to allow you to to turn to other myths, to turn away from these things. But instead, as I continue in the word, as I continue to learn it, as I keep putting it before myself and I believe it, and then I share it with you that you will do the same. That's all that I can control. And this is Paul's charge to Timothy. And this would be the Bible's charge to all of us, is that if you could rightly handle God's word, and then believe what the Bible has presented about God's word, then you will have a passion to share it with people and they will respond in ways that you could never imagine. And as the band gets ready to come back up here and we respond in worship, this, this is what this really looks like for me. Th- there are moments in, in my life where I will sit in a worship service, I will sit in a worship service here even, and in other worship spaces. And whoever's been given the stage at that point will begin to preach a message. And I will hear the opening line of the message and I'll either go, not for me today, this message is going to be pointless. Or, hey, that verse reminds me of this verse and this verse and this verse. And so, so I will start, list, I'll, I'll hear like, hey, today we're in John 1 and I'll start reading John 1. And then next thing I know, I'm in Leviticus and I'm reading the Levitical law. And Alyssa will look over and be like, why are you in Leviticus? I don't know how I got here. And I'll get to the end of the sermon and I'll go, that was a waste of time. That didn't speak to anybody. And then because I'm a pastor, I come stand in this little spot right here with this attitude that that message wasn't really that good. And then 40 people come down. And they're praying and they're, they're repenting and they're, hey, could you pray for my marriage? I'm like, that message wasn't about the marriage at all. Yeah, but this is what God spoke to me through this little part of it. And, and so then I begin to go, okay, be, it wasn't presented in the way that I would present it, but God still used it. And for some reason, he's allowed me to be surrounded by a couple hundred college students. What if he did that to all of them? What if he allowed you in the way that you've been gifted, in the way that you faithfully try to understand scripture, to open your mouth to people in classes and on buses 
and even at family reunions and gatherings and spaces where just lost people abound for you just to open up scripture and because God is God and he can ordain things in unbelievable ways that he knew that this person would interact with this person and your understanding of scripture kind of collided with him at that point. And even in what you would probably say is just a simple, basic, not theologically deep understanding of scripture, when you shared that verse with somebody, they went, oh, and then they responded, and the only thing that you did is what Martin Luther did, is he said, I just opened my mouth. I just spoke God's word to them. I, just, I tried to encourage them with what I understood about Scripture, and for some reason, God used it. And if we could understand that that's the most powerful weapon that we possess, and we picked it up, and we used it, I promise you, God will, will amaze us with response. So here, here's the practical application of that. I mean, one, I'm just going like, hey, if you're a Christ follower, you've got to be engaged in this. You've got to be open in this. You've got to be chewing on this. You've got to be trying to understand it more. You've got to be asking big questions. You've got to be doing all of those things. You just should be. If you're not, if you struggle with that, let's have a conversation. Let's connect you with a leader. Let's, let's figure out some accountability for you to do this. Because, yeah, there's a passion involved in this, sure, but you can also develop a habit that feeds a passion and God's faithful to his promises. If you'll explore me in these ways, then I'll respond to you. I think it works on our side more than his. He's not like gonna make your Bible glow in the corner and you just like levitate over to it and it speaks to you. He's looking for you to open it and explore in it. Then he reveals himself to you. And so if, if you would commit to that, maybe we hold you accountable, we'll see you, we'll see you grow in those spaces. Like that's the, the first practical one. But I, but I wanna give you like a, a real practical charge. This week, grab a verse. I don't care what verse. Whatever verse stands out to you, read that verse, meditate, it on, the, in the, meditate on it in the morning, and then ask God to use it. But hey, hey, God, would you use this verse to impact somebody's life for eternity? Every single time that I've done that, he's responded faithfully. And so as, as I've chewed on scripture and I say, God, I, I, need, I need this verse to come alive in the life of somebody else. Would you just be faithful to do that? He's done it. And so this week, find a verse. Ask God to use it in the lives of people and then ask him to give you a boldness to share it. And then when it happens, and I want to know, I want you to be like, hey, when I pulled this verse out of Matthew, I didn't even know what it meant, but I asked God to use it. And then Joe Schmo on the bus sat beside me and I shared that verse with him and he started crying. I didn't know what to do. I ran off the bus. Okay, <laughs> go find him. But, but do that and allow God to use you in those spaces. That's how powerful God's word is. And I promise you it will happen. I, got, I want us to, to hold God to his promises. And then all of... 2 Timothy 3 and half of 4, it just echoes like the faithfulness of God's word to come alive in the life of believers as we are faithful to use it. It is the power of God for salvation, for faith in Christ Jesus. And that should be your ultimate goal. Let me pray for you. I'm going to respond in worship. God, thanks for, thank you for your word. Like we just have to start there. We thank you that it's living, that it's active, that it cuts deep through the bone to the marrow, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword, that it is inspired by it is breathed out by it is the 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 exaltation of god to us and it it is trustworthy for for some reason in your in your power and in your authority and your faithfulness you you by the spirit spoke through men that pinned your 
words that have echoed for thousands of years. And every time that I engage with it, I, I am challenged. I learn something new. I'm stirred in my affections for you. And, and I wish, like I would have had the passion that I have now for it when I was in college. And so I'm just selfishly asking for the men and women in this room that you would stir that up in them that your word would come alive just in a new way, um, that their that passion for it would rise up um, in them. And it wouldn't be something that they just digest. It wouldn't be something that is just for themselves. It wouldn't be something that selfishly we just like want to go deeper. Um, but but in our desire to know you more, to go, to go deeper in your word, it would be so that we can make you known in spaces. It would be for the the salvation of others. It would be so that they understand what faith in Christ looks like. It would be, honestly, so that we could have some answers, so that we could be ready in and out of season, that you would put people in our lives that um, would respond well to what we're learning. Like, you're big enough to do that. I don't know why we walk in that doubt. Why we're so afraid to open our mouth, knowing that a God who's, who's big enough to save is also not big enough to make a divine appointment where my goofy words impact somebody's lives in just an incredible way as I've just been faithful to open my mouth. So may your word come alive in us in that way. Would you give us a boldness and a passion for others that echoes in how we study, but then also how we present your word to them. How do we trust you to do that? In Jesus' name.